Welcome to the DP30 Audio Pod. I actually got computer glasses recently. Yeah, isn't that I could fun? See properly, huh? Isn't that fun? I've yeah. got bifocals, I've got computer glasses, um, <laughs> an electron microscope for close-up work. Today on the DP30 Audio Pod, Patrick Corcoran, Vice President and Chief Communication Officer of NATO. That's the National Association of Theater Owners, not the one that bombs people. How are you doing? I'm doing good. You know, it's been a been a great summer, a mostly stress free one. You know, it's it which is a, a change for for me over the last couple of years. It's it's nice to be able to like look at good news and have to uh, explain that. So, do you feel like? I mean, it, it does seem like we're with one movie left to go this summer. There's a big wave of nothingness coming. Yeah. <laughs> is that how big a concern is that for uh, in the land of NATO? It, it's a concern short term. Uh, we, we think the gap is not quite as wide as some people think. I think October looks a little better than some people think. But, uh, I, you know, it's something we've seen coming. It's something we saw coming in quarter one, right, especially January. Uh, we, you know, we knew we were set up with something great with Spider-Man and No Way Home. And then a vast canyon with nothing to sort of exploit that good feeling about going to the movies. Uh, yeah. And, and that's, you know, been the nature of, of the box office the last two years, you know, last year, especially, uh, you know, we had almost no movies in, <laughs> in Q1 of, uh, of 2021. I mean, there were, uh, I think, uh, uh, what was it, about eight major studio releases in the first quarter compared to, you know, about 24 in 2019. Mm. And, you know, obviously you're going to suffer under those circumstances. And what we saw throughout the year both as vaccines took hold and you know, waves of the pandemic eased, uh, we had more movies and we had more people going to the movies. You know, they, they rose together. In fact, uh, you know, we generally outperformed the number of movies we had, but having more movies there, that's the old story that movie going begets movie going. Uh, you have to be talking about it in the culture for people to be aware. And uh, you know, that was one of the, the concerns, I think, that uh, some of the studios, especially the ones that... Uh, specialize in adult fare like you know you've got a message that movie theaters are safe to, to old people and and uh, you know the the idea that movie theater owners say movie theaters are safe it's not exactly news or a compelling right. argument right <laughs> and and we sort of dug into things and what we saw was that you know in all the NRG reports that everybody is looking at in this industry you know weekly to see what moviegoers attitudes are and how they feel about safety and looking into it you see that you, even last year throughout the pandemic, that older moviegoers felt that movie theaters were safer than any other indoor activity, whether it's bars or restaurants or shopping, they all thought it was safer. So that wasn't our problem. You know, we have members who, who own not just movie theaters, but also concert venues and, and restaurants, and they're actually in the same complex. And you know, back in December, their, their concert venue and their restaurants were packed and the movie theater was empty. Right. And the reason was they didn't, you know, movie theater, the concert venues had, had musicians, the restaurants had food and the movie theater didn't have movies. So as we see that increase throughout the year, uh, we, we're obviously seeing things going a lot better. I mean, year to date, we're basically at about 80% of 2019's total. Uh, and, you know, that's broken out by, you know, Q1 was about 57%. Right. You know, so the, this Q2 is much better. It's about 89%. And if you're looking at July alone, it's uh, basically at, uh, I'm sorry, I have my numbers wrong. as the number of releases. Um, the, uh, 
the, it was about year to date, it's about 70%. And right. Q1 is 56%, and uh, Q2, 72.8%. You know? So and if you look at July, we're essentially even. We're off by about 2%, and that's really been in the last week. <laughs> prior, prior to this last week, we were, we were right. by about 30%, right? So all of a sudden, it's clear that you know, without a big new release, and compared to a really big release back in 2019 at the same time, you know, you're going to suck by comparison. Uh, and so, yeah, we're, we're going to see some backsliding in the year-to-date comparison. But the, the key, and I think luckily for us and, and surprisingly uh, for this industry, that we're seeing a lot of analysis going, oh, well, yeah, it might be slow because there aren't a lot of movies. Not that it's an existential problem for movie theaters or they're right. afraid to go to movie theaters. I think this summer, if it didn't kill that narrative, you know, nothing will. Uh, so, you know, it, it's... Partly an old story. It's partly a, a pandemic and a little bit streaming-driven story. Um, you know, the the uh, the big switch I think uh, at the beginning of this year and sort of the attitudes towards streaming. You know, mm. from just you know, it's 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 everything. The future and you know, everybody gets ice cream. Uh, is you know needed to be corrected. It's probably been overcorrected at this point. You know, right. you've got to make vast, huge changes, or you're all going to die. So, well, no, you need to maybe restrain your spending a little bit, uh, find different revenue sources, and uh, you know, and that the the key takeaway for me though is that profit and loss statements matter again, right? So, uh, and I think that's good for us. I think it's it's we're a business that lives and dies on it. Did that really make money? Yes. Okay, that was good. Uh, the problem is you can't measure that in streaming. You know, it's, it's, so are studios assuring you that their attitude has changed? Or from, I mean, to me, yeah. the big thumb in all of this is Disney at this point. Yeah, well, where... Disney is opaque. It's, it's hard to tell what their strategy is going forward. I mean, they, yeah. they certainly, you know, going into this, this new world of streaming and, and theatrical and how you balance them, uh, their history and their slate and what they are spending on it you would think would predispose them to be very careful and very judicious about putting things in theatrical and, and making them work uh you know we saw some odd experimentation last year with, with uh, black widow right and, and sort of an odd trumpeting that you know the 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 streaming gross or the vod gross was uh, proof that theater theatrical and vod could work together in simultaneous release which was alarming, you know. It's 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 something. If, if any, if you can look at anything from last year, you can see that simultaneous release is death. It, it, yeah. it doesn't. It hurts you in theatrical, and it doesn't help you in the home. So yeah, we 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 have concerns, but we've been talking. And you know, there's new management in some of these companies, new ownership in some of these companies, and they're taking a different look. Uh, you know, Warner Brothers is obviously a big concern because of Project Popcorn. That's done. Uh, and you can see it in the way that the uh, movies are being marketed. Uh, there's a real emphasis on theatrical exclusive, and there's an emphasis on, on that and seeing it the best way. And they're slowing down on telling you it's going to be in the home, which yes. is smart and what we've asked for all the way through. You know, keep, keep your offers separate. Don't confuse your audience. Don't cheapen one by advertising the other at the same time. So Amazon seems to be the other one that's kind of shifting in the in a in a difficult direction or a problematic direction, um, and Universal, of course, seems to be the most stable of all of them, though with a pretty short window. Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, Universal is a lot of theatrical, there's a big theatrical slate and it's performing really, really well. And they have their, their model, which is you know 17 days of it opens under 50 million and 31 days of it opens over 50 million. And that's not the streaming. It, you know, it's, it's a little less of a problem because it goes to a paid medium, right? It goes to PVOD. So the, the, the cannibalization and the cheapening of the offer is, is less. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we also have, I, I, what's encouraging is you're seeing, you know, even though there are stated policies or implied policies across most of the studios, you're seeing exceptions to it. You know, uh, some of it's star driven, like with Top Gun, and some of it is director driven, like with uh, Oppenheimer, mm -hmm. but you're, you're seeing something longer than their usual stated window. And right. we're also seeing it with Nope. I mean, I was just seeing it reported that Nope, even though it did not open $50 million, is mm -hmm. going to go longer than it's going to go 31 days. So, you know, there, there's a lot of change in the air and not all, all of it's settled out. And, you know, this is also partly the reason why uh, it's, it's been a light schedule. It's partly, you know, production crunches. There's, there's a real post-production house crunch right now uh, across Hollywood. And some of it is they're in the midst of shifting the, their emphasis. You know, they're right. having a balanced emphasis and didn't have the product to, you know, you can't just go, well, this was streaming, let's yank it out and somebody think of a marketing campaign. Right. It, it, it just doesn't work that fast. Um, it, it worked that fast going the other direction. It did, which was easier <laughs> because you didn't actually have a choice, right? You, right. Like, well, I don't have theaters. We can sell it, we can shelve it, or we can, put it on our streaming service. So there, there weren't a whole lot of choices. And, you know, we, we understood, we didn't like it, but, you know, uh, you need money. <laughs> Everybody needed money. And, you know- it's Great so, irony of Project Popcorn. Yeah. Historically. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and yeah, the, the, the huge irony of that is that it, it proved it was a bad idea. I mean- But it also <laughs> helped people stay afloat for right. know, a year. Right, yes, yeah, we needed those movies and yeah. nobody was happy to do it. So we've likened it to chemotherapy. Right. So, you know, it's like, but but once once the disease is cured, stop taking the medicine. <laughs> you know, so get a, get a new course of treatment. Let's treat this as a healthy industry because it is. So the middle, I mean, to me, the 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 place where we're still having a problem, uh, even during the summer, is that is the middle ground. Is the is the dramas, the comedies, the idea that um, the box office is not just about big movies. But about those middle movies, is there any sense that there's anything that anybody can do about this, or are the studios just going to have to figure out it themselves? And yeah, they, they have to. They have to figure it out. I think there there's an opportunity for them. I think one of the one of the you know less understood things about the whole Windows fight over the last 15 years or so mm -hmm. is almost 20 years at this point. At least is, is that. Uh, well, I, I sort of track it to 2005 when yeah. uh, a few weeks before Bob Iger started at Disney, he said that uh, in the future movie premieres are going to be at Walmart. <laughs> uh, you know, well, uh, that seemed like the first very public yeah. uh, threat to us. And then, then we got engaged on that. But if you look at what was going on, uh, you know, when we were heading towards our, our post uh, television peak in admissions in 2002, Mm. And DVDs and transactional home video sales and rentals were heading to their peak in 2004. Those two things were tied together. And a lot of movies were being greenlit because, okay, well, if it 
doesn't make back enough money or the, you know doesn't make back its money period at the box office, we'll make it up in DVD because you, all you have to do is you know put it on the shelf and it went right. And you know, but it took about six years from DVD's introduction to hit its peak and sort of a, a, a sort of constant and irreversible decline yeah. after 2005. And weirdly, the first threat on Windows was we're doing so great in home box in our home retail why do they need movie theaters right and you started to see fewer titles especially at mid-range that needed to prove themselves in theatrical and then make money in the home as dvds started to decline it became how do we prop up support for our home market that's so important to us and how about premium video on demand it's a new offering and it'll be cash and, and maybe it won't cannibalize theaters but we don't care so you had uh, a new a same solution to a new problem, right? In fact, the opposite problem that you had. And what we've seen is they've been able to been unable to make that big cash on those mid-range movies mm -hmm. in the home is that they really cut back on them in theatrical. Uh, if you if you look at 2004, uh, we had um, uh, where is it? We had 41 titles then mm -hmm. grossed between 50 and hundred million dollars. And that made about two and three quarter billion dollars and sold 444 million tickets. You fast forward to 2019, and there was sort of a constant decline through there. 2019, right. there were 25 of them that brought in 1.68 billion and 183 million admissions. And at the same time, we've got more hundred million dollar grossing title, hundred million dollar plus grossing titles, selling more tickets and making more money. Right, you added about 100 million admissions in that category, but we lost about 260 million in the 1500 million dollar. Yeah, so a real bread and butter issue for us, right? And we've been encouraging more of those movies, but what we see now, I think, is an inverse of what happened with the DVD boom, which is okay, we can do this and make the money in the home. Well, right now, they're making a ton of these movies, putting them directly on streaming, and they are not being monetized at all. Right. Are they actually retaining customers? Are they bringing in subscribers? You know, are you justifying that money you're spending? Mm -hmm. If you put it in theatrical, you could actually have a revenue stream <laughs> add to the add to the aura around the movie because every survey we've seen shows that people on the streaming think that theatrical movies are more valuable to them and more watchable and better. Right. Watch it on streaming. So you add that extra aura to it as well as making that money. And you have half your customers in streaming. So it, it seems like a no brainer to us. It's kind of what we're putting out there to, to everybody, um, but we'll see. It's, it's, it's a question of, of whether they can balance. Obviously they'll have to spend money on marketing. They'll have to be, right. they'll have to be comfortable with a bigger window than most streamers are comfortable with now. They you know it's gonna have to align with the, with the studios. Um, and whether they're willing to spend that money and thinking they can get back money, uh, it, it's it's all pluses I think for them. But they have to they have to figure out that model. Do you have a, a sense that the VOD wave has crested in terms of the uh, COVID window? That people are now probably not watching as many VODs as they were. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear that that's that's slackened off. Um, and the ones that were really um, Outperforming were the family titles, right? You know, obviously because you kids couldn't get vaccinated, <laughs> you know, among other things. 
Uh, and I, I think there's still some hangover to that. We haven't had a knockdown of the titles, but they're starting to perform pretty well. Yeah, uh, we've got one this weekend that's going to do just fine. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we need that entire balanced slate uh, because, you know, it's the, the, the more boutique titles or adult skewing titles or art house titles need the noise about movie going, about movies in general to get the oxygen to sustain them, right? Yeah. They're not gonna get the attention on their own. Well, also I'm of the opinion that the, you know, a lot of it is the, we don't know what hits are gonna be, hits. We don't know what the, you know, what's gonna end up being a surprise success. So the idea of a movie that does, that costs very little and makes a hundred million dollars plus, yeah. uh, creating itself ain't gonna happen unless it's there. Right. And, and that's, I mean, that's partly, that, that's the, the, the number cruncher problem, right? You have yeah. people who are like, well, yes, but we're guaranteed to make $150 million on top of the 200 million we spent here. Right. <laughs> so instead of making 10 movies for $200 million and then having to market them, of which, I don't know, three or four might hit, maybe, yeah. uh, they're not gonna play those percentages. So you need people who, which is why you need movie makers why you need the theatrical divisions to have a bigger voice in their larger corporate edifices, mm -hmm. because they understand that, right? And, and there isn't one you know, studio idea, of this is how we're approaching things. There are contending and friendly, but argumentative factions within each studio that have, have, have a different emphasis on, on theatrical. And, and that's been you know, a longstanding story. And then there's always the story between the, the, the creative people and then the money people. That's 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 the story of Hollywood. Well, I mean, as I as I as as you do, I remember having these arguments a long time ago. Uh, you know, in DVD, it was a lot of it was originally tied to DVD, where there actually was a moment where DVD was generating more revenue than yeah. than theatrical, and you know, and then there was also the phenomenon of theatrical marketing. I mean, DVD marketing costing as much as theatrical marketing. Yeah. Um, which is what they all wanted to avoid for a long time. But it right. seems like now the question is, does throwing this content that is more expensive even than the uh, television content onto these streamers create any upside really for the, for the streamers at all? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that they face is, is devaluing what they offer. Uh, how, how do you distinguish that title other than advertising, hey, we've got stars and we spent $200 million. Uh, what makes that stand out on your service with a thousand other things and the three or four other services that people have that have a thousand more things? And if there's new stuff, you know, 70, 80 movies, you know, I think it was that Netflix saying they're going to be putting out a year, right? Right. Well, that's along with the multiple series they have, the library content they have, all this stuff, and, and audiences only have so much time now. You know, that didn't expand. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it just, you got untethered from your living room and your TV. You know, you can watch it on your phone, but how, how much are you going to watch while you're keeping to work on your phone? It's not the same kind of viewing. It's, it's less, there's less value to it. I mean, if yeah, you can yeah. stop it at any time, that, that's the other part of, of, of theatrical that's always been a key to me is that you have to surrender to it. We're not stopping the movie for you. Yeah. You have to, you have to get out and, and experience it the way it was made. Not even for Nicole Kidman? 
Not even for her. <laughs> in fact, people want the longer version of the Nicole Kidman ad, and they want to talk along with it. So yeah. Yes, they're they're well because we've heard it now so many times. For people who are back in the, I, we just went the other day, yesterday actually, to see uh, Super Dogs or whatever it's called. Yeah. <laughs> whatever the hell that name is. Right. And uh, yeah, we it's it's there, and uh, I didn't videotape myself talking to the screen, but you know, I do know most of the the speech at this point. Yep. So obviously just reference Netflix. Do you see any movement there? I mean, ultimately, you know, they they argued that they did they did sell Gray Man more aggressively, but I didn't see a lot of spots. I saw some spots. Um, and I've seen some spots for other things they've had, but I don't really they generally awards related, in this case not, because there ain't no way this thing had an award for much of anything. But um, you know, is there any movement? in terms of their thinking that you guys are conscious of? Well, not that we're conscious of. I mean, we talk to them a lot. We certainly encourage them. We give them whatever information that we have about theatrical and, and how it might work for them. But they're gonna make their decision based on their own internal logic. You know, they need to look at it. And also, I think, avoid all of the scrutiny that they're getting right now about all the things that Netflix has to do, right? Well, they pretty much know what they have to do and they're gonna decide it. They don't want to, be pressured into it and they don't want to be seen as being pressured into it you know they're they're a big successful company that's going to look at the way to be most successful if they choose to go into theatrical and they're going to be careful about it i mean they're very they're very conscious of of testing and seeing how particular things work and and in limited ways and then rolling it out bigger uh you know it's, that's a tech mentality that makes a lot of sense right uh, i i i would you know, we'd love to have some of their movies. That's we've been clear about that for years at this point. And we think, you know, with the logic that I was, I was putting out before, that it will add value to them, it will add cash to their bottom line. But it's got to be a decision that, uh, you know, they make about whether, when, and what kind of movies. Right? Yeah. And that's another thing they have to test. I, they're, they're not going to, you know, throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. They're going to very carefully and thoughtfully work out what works best and, and again they are they they say it a lot but they are very concerned about our offerings primarily to our subscribers right which makes perfect sense uh, i mean our thinking in this is no subscriber is going to be to feel harmed if they're right. waiting you know 45 days for a movie to come from theatrical to to the streaming service i don't think there's there may be somebody hardcore maybe rich greenfield would be upset about it but i don't think anybody else will well, to give them something else to do while they're streaming everything else. You know, they can wait for it. Right. <laughs> they can binge the hell out of series right. while they wait. They can come binge at the movie theater if they like. We'd be all fine for that. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I think part of it is just the mindset of the theatrical experience being a different experience as opposed to it just being another delivery system. Right. Which is why the, the, the term content is so damaging. Or product, as it tends to be called in on the on the, uh, on the theatrical end of it, it's movies. Yeah. We put out movies, and people come to see movies. And you know the the and the comparisons, you know, about expense. Yes, of course, it's going to be more expensive. We built a big building with lots of rooms that need employees and heat and air conditioning, and we have to pay for the movie that we're going to show you. So obviously, it's going to be more expensive than something that goes to millions and millions of people over your your internet. Right. And so, yes, that's going to be less expensive. It's convenient. I, I don't have to get out of my, my pajamas. I can just watch whatever. Great. 
People like going out. That's one of the most ridiculous arguments. Oh, I have to go out, I have to do this. People get excited to go out. It's a buzz when you get there and there's a crowded theater. I mean, you just feel it, it's exciting. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the comparisons have always been, well, my TV is really big. It's like, okay, great. You know, and, and that's always the argument. It's like, you, you take the most sophisticated home theater setup you could possibly have and compare it to the worst possible movie theater experience and see, they're the same, they're just good. I'd rather be, in the, I'd rather be at home. So, you know, we offer something different. We offer you know, both scale, but also the, you know, you talk about the communal experience. It's not that people want to make new friends, but there's a different experience when you experience a movie with other people. Uh, you, you kind of actually judge other people and yourself by your reactions. It's like, you know, everybody's laughing at something. You're like, what, what, why was that funny? Yeah. Or you're laughing, nobody else gets it. And you're like, huh. And, you know, and when everybody's scared at the same time, it enhances the, the, the experience. And it also changes your interpretation of the movie. Definitely. What also is the, you know, the, the, focal, the focus issue, which I think where people are becoming more and more aware of less and less focus with all the screens we do look at every day, yeah. that there's something very different about being in a place where you've paid and you're committed and you're Absolutely. sitting there. Uh, for two hours or whatever it is, and you know, it's it's a different it's a different universe in many ways. Yeah, paying for something absolutely increases your perception of its value. <laughs> I paid for this one; it better be good. But two, you you are willing it to be good because you paid for it. Well, and even if you hate it, right? There's something better about that. You know, there's something more fulfilling about disliking something in a full way in in a theater than there is, and and also the. The transition of things that happens within movies. There are movies where people are not happy in the first act and they love the third act. Yep. Titanic has, you know, an incredibly <laughs> long driving movie in many ways until the third act, which is magnificent. Yep. Um, and people come out of the theater thrilled, even though they were bored for an act for the first hour, maybe. Yeah. And, and you know, it goes back to, I think, Roger Ebert's, uh, you know, thing about the length of movies. And he said, no movie you enjoy is too long and no movie you hate is too short. So, yes. It's, and it's true. But I mean, you know, I, I just think about, uh, I used to, when I first came out to Los Angeles, a friend of mine from college and I used to go to the movies like three or four or five times a week because we were unemployed and we could see matinees all the time. And we had a bunch of repertory theaters and, and some major dives, but we would see some really god awful movies and have a ball. It would be so yeah. fun. You know, because because you've got something to talk about afterwards, you know. That's for and, sure. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's it is. Uh, I mean, it, there's been all the stuff. You know, Scorsese talking about you know how Marvel movies aren't cinema, and people all pushing back. And oh, you snooty old white man. And I, I think the the you know the idea I, I, that movies no movies are not a sacred space or a church is well sometimes they are, but they are a different place. And they yeah. do make the viewing special. I mean, it makes it a movie. You go to the movies. You know? So in my the other perception I have through all of this is that people coming out of COVID seem to be more willing to pay for premium screens. Absolutely. Um, than they were. And uh, do you think that will be part of the evolution in the next couple of years? I know we have one theater here that's being having two houses converted uh, this summer, uh, one to IMAX and one to Dolby. Right. Um, but do you think that's going to be a continuing phenomenon where 
Yeah. Have fewer screens, but bigger screens? I I think that's a potential. I think that's the way we've been going for a while. Part of, part of the, the rush back to seeing it on the biggest, best screen was partly the first demographics that were coming back, which was young men and real movie enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. And they gradu- gravitate towards the big screens like that uh, to begin with. But yes, we, they, we are still seeing those over-indexed. And they're certainly the first screens that sell out on, on any big title. Yeah, we don't look and you'll, you'll be able to get a, a, a seat on in you know one of the regular formats. But if it's you know, on a premium large format or something else, so, you know, luxury screens or whatever, those sell first. But part of the, the other element of this is that people are really spending a lot of money on concessions. It's remarkable. Huh. I mean, it's, it's the, the, the per capita spending on uh, concessions has gone up about 40% from like 2019. Wow. It's crazy. You know, some of it is there's more dining theaters, but some of it is people are coming in. They're like, I missed popcorn. I missed that giant soda. And they're just going crazy. So do you think it'll continue? Do you guys have a, a sense of whether it's, you know, yeah, I, I think a very specific demographic or whether, I mean, I, the other phenomenon with it is that, for instance, the AMC um, A plus thing, you know, people can reserve it without worrying, it, without paying for it if they've got an A-plus card. And I do think that often the Dolby Theater and the IMAX Theater get sold out quicker because, and maybe with some extra seats, not actually people not showing up um, because of those programs. Yeah, I, I think that there, there is a real appetite for it. Uh, the, the question, I mean, because some of this ex- involves, uh, you know, capital expenditure. So you, you start looking several years ahead. And in the same way that uh, dine-in theaters and, uh, recliner seats rolled out it's looking for proof of it i think if we see it sustained you'll see a lot more of that kind of refurbishing of theaters or new builds that will have that um but you know dine-in theaters people tested it out in a lot of different ways and before gutting a theater and turning it into a kitchen you know and putting in seats and all that other stuff you have to see how it works and see if they're what the demand is same thing for you know taking out your regular seats and replacing it with fewer recliners. That terrified a lot of the industry. It's like, are you crazy? I'll have less seats to sell. And what it did was reduce you know the the number of vacant seats. Your occupancy went up. So right, you know, I'll take ninety percent of fifty seats over you know twenty percent of three hundred seats. Yeah. It's, it's a lot better. So, but that rollout takes years. Right. It's it's uh, a lot of different companies uh, with a lot of different uh, capital structures and in different markets, and they're going to test it out. Uh, and also, you have to remember that we're coming out of a, uh, uh, an era where we've had to either take on lots of debt <laughs> or cut back on expenditures. So there, there may be some basic refurbishment that needs to be done first. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's going to be a question of, is this something that is a sustained interest are there movies that are going to be in the theaters that match that kind of experience? So that, that will take some time to, to see whether it's going to be a lasting trend. Well, it's an interesting phenomenon when you, you know, think of something like Avatar or whatever. Um, but even yesterday, the, the theaters at the AMC that we went to, you know, had uh, the Super Pets and the Dolby. Right. Uh, and I'm not sure, maybe they sold out. I'm not really, didn't really check. But, you know, ultimately... They're, they're, they're a short window because there's so few of the screens. Right. So, so the fact that we've shortened the window in general 
Um, it's kind of like, you know, Ouroboros after a while. It's like, it's hard to, uh, you know, people are looking forward to seeing Top Gun on, on a Dolby screen or an IMAX screen again later this summer. They're hoping yeah. in a weird way, even though they'd probably rather see something new. Um, they'll go back again. Yeah, and, and weirdly this year, um, although they're packed fairly closely together, be, this summer in particular, because there's been so many fewer movies, there are more movies that are playing on those large format screens than they would normally. You know, they're right. more limited to a certain kind of movie. And in the same way that you're seeing art houses playing Top Gun <laughs> because they need movies, right? Yeah. The same, same issue. So you've seen a lot of those nonprofits and art house theaters that, that have strangely expanded their program into a lot more mainstream movies because they had to, right? So as, as all of these things settle out, the schedule, whether we have a full calendar of movies that span the gamut of movies. Right. And, and, you know, and, and whether audience behavior settles down into, I'm just happy to be at a movie or whether it's like, if I'm going to a movie, I'm going big, uh, we'll see. Uh, that's, you know, one of the things that made me insane over the last two years is <laughs> the, the perpetual nowness of everything, which is like, now is how it is forever. Right? Yeah. So, and then it's like, why are you looking at this as, is this the future of, because really we don't know and everybody's staying inside their house. That's certainly not the future. Yeah. But any conclusions you're drawing based on how many people were streaming or how theaters were doing, uh, it was pretty premature. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home hopefully knocked a lot of that out of people's consciousness. It was just spectacular. I mean, we all knew it was going to be a big movie, but it just kept getting bigger and they're like, Wow, <laughs> you know, and, and as the Omicron wave was starting, it was still really drawing people in. Yeah. And, and one of the really interesting things uh, that we looked at because we were using this in our arguments about why we needed more adult skewing movies was that the, the demographics on uh, Spider-Man No Way Home in the first two weeks in terms of those 59 and older was identical, around mm. 45 and older, was identical to Avengers Endgame exact same percentages yeah so it's like i don't think we have a, a, a an older adult problem we have a we have a not enough movie problem well i feel like there there is i mean i don't know if you're even allowed if it's reasonable for you to speak to it but i do think the media has become very uh, single movie focused in the last and even through the summer where there was a pileup in july um week after week that we're still this kind of like this is the movie that's say you know God bless Top Gun and all of theaters, that. Yes. But, you know, every movie is the movie that saves theaters or shows the end of the Marvel system coming, you know, Marvel's yeah. over because Thor underperformed in the second weekend. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you know, one, one is alarming, two is a trend, and three is a paradigm shift. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's lazy, it's, it, it, it generates easy headlines and stories. Um, but this is a business that's been around for a long time. It's been through a lot of different circumstances. Uh, the idea of home entertainment is not new. Uh, the idea of things going fairly soon to the home, that's not new either. Uh, it's all a matter of degrees. Um, and, you know, the, the, there are no real surprises 
in the fact that you could be surprised by stuff, you know, <laughs> hopefully you can still be surprised by stuff, but you shouldn't be surprised that you're surprised. Um, but I, 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 I'm very skeptical of anybody telling us that the future is secured or the future is doomed based on one or two movies or a particular trend that's happening. Um, yeah. You know, if we, if we paid attention to trends in the late 90s and, and early 2000s, uh, all movies would now be romantic comedies, you know, so. <laughs> and wouldn't that be fun? It would have been fun. Well, no, it, it, it definitely uh, strikes me that we need to, you know, people, hit, people would be better off if they knew a little bit about history in terms of this business. And, you know, it's, um, things change, but they, and, and the other thing is, is that I think there's this attitude that somehow movie theaters have not stepped up to the plate in changing. Right. And I kind of keep pointing out to people that, you know, I remember the years and years and years of negotiation over getting digital theater, di digital uh, projectors into theaters yep. at the enormous cost, obviously, of doing it to every, for everybody, but that it, you know, nobody stood, stood to save more money than the studios. Right. It wasn't even like, you know, certainly didn't have to put a gun to their head except to get the money out of them to help part, be part of it. Um, but it's kind of like there's this almost like people in their 60s who, you know, haven't been to a movie theater in 20 years and are still remembering sticky floors from 1983, you know. Yeah, it's, you know, and all, all the narrow, you know, shoebox theaters in, in the back of a mall and everything else. Right. Uh, yeah, obviously. And, and there's, you know, we, uh, we've, you know, changed our, our seating. We've changed the, the, your ability to view the screen with stadium seating. We've completely changed our projection technology. We've upgraded our digital sound capabilities, added dining uh, movie theaters. We've added alcohol service. There's, you know, we add in digital ticketing and apps and everything else and, and subscriptions. And there, it's just been a complete sea change in what's going yeah. on. Um, and, you know, there, there's always the this disconnect with people like, oh, it's so expensive now. And you could also sort of point out that, well, you know, adjusted for inflation, it costs about what it cost you in 1973. But the other point is people have this nostalgic idea of, of movie theaters, and it's partly the fact that their ideas of it were formed when they were kids. And when they were going the most, they were older teenagers or young adults. And... As older teenagers, they probably weren't paying for the tickets, so of course it's more expensive now. Yeah, and and you know, and, and again, people always confuse nominal with real dollars. So <laughs> it's it's uh, sometimes that's to our advantage, sometimes not, because you know, 150 million dollars is not the same thing in 2023 right. as it as it was in 1973. You know, 150 yeah. million dollar gross in 1973 was both unheard of, but also a huge amount of money. It's yeah. not quite the same now, but the same applies to, you have to think of the same way in ticket prices, which, you know, if we, if, you know, it was $18 in, uh, in 1973, that would have been a whole lot of money in 1973. But what it is really is now what, what $18 is, or actually $9 is the average-ish, uh, is about what you would pay in 1973. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a lot of perception uh, and always, you know, at a certain level, you what the customer perceives is correct and you have to give them something that overcomes that perception or or justifies it, you know, in some way. Or, you know, My so sister, who is in her early 70s, went to go see Top Gun with her husband and she loved it and had a great time. 
and apparently wandered into a 4DX screen somehow because <laughs> um, everything was moving. And yeah. she says, but it was $30. And, you know, that was too much. And I first I thought, how where are you finding a ticket for $30? Then I realized it was $15 a ticket. Right. And she had got into a 4DX screen for 15 bucks a ticket in L.A. That's cheap. Yeah, that would be a bargain here in L.A. You know, and also, the, you know, a lot of the perception is is that New York and L.A. or San Francisco or Chicago and maybe Dallas. But you get outside of those top five <laughs> markets yeah. and, you know, in Kansas City or, you know, all across. There's there's still places where you can get into a really fine new movie theater and pay six, seven bucks. Yeah. Well, even in LA, you can go, uh, you know, AMC has their Tuesday thing, right. for five bucks. I don't know. They're still doing the five bucks, but they were there and they yeah. certainly are discounting matinees again. Yeah. But I, I mean, I was talking about top ticket price where that's, right. your, that's your adult Friday night ticket price. And that's yeah. where you can still, that's still there in a lot of places in this country, which is why people are always shocked when our average ticket price is so low because it's every, <laughs> every ticket sold and, you know, right. and just the top price, but it depends on who goes and what movies are out there. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's why we haven't published one over the last two years because the market's such a mess that it would be really distorting to yeah. say it's only adults coming. It's only Friday and Saturday nights. It's only the big formats. So, you know, there's nothing out there for children or families or older people. So it, it, it's, it, we look at the numbers, we're like, this makes no sense. What are we? <laughs> so once we get a market that's, that's more established, we'll probably go back to, to publishing that. that so the, the other thing was the, uh, the, clubs i guess because there are a couple companies that have them yeah um is that seen by nato as a great positive as something that will be a driving force of the future that will continue to evolve or what yeah i, I think they're you're seeing you know some real successes with it um and and new sort of ways of going about it uh and, and making it a a kind of offer that you know i think marcus has has one that they're experimenting with now that's sort of designed to get people to go to movies that might be their second or third choice right they know people are going to show up for the the blockbusters so let's encourage the movie going for the others and so their 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 club offering is structured that way and you know there, there are a lot of different ways to do that and it's been around in europe forever uh more recent here and but we're seeing that they they're pretty successful um well, my, my daughter has a membership and, and uses it extensively. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and uh, I think with MoviePass, with its first iteration, we were seeing that there was a real effect on some of those smaller titles, the independent movies. Right. Where people were like, I, I'm not paying for it. Let, let's give it a shot. So, um, you know, which is good because we, we need to find ways to encourage people to go to that. And, and that's been something I know you've written about this a lot about you know after you get from the top three or four performing movies right now there's just no options left there's no second choice right so if you've got somebody who wants to go frequently it's like well i can go see the same thing again or you know there's just start those things out there and we need more of them because when they're out there and they're and they're really good i mean the ironically named everything everywhere all at once had a very long window and did incredibly well in movie theaters and it's, yeah. coming, and it's coming back today in a wide release with some some new material uh, marcel the shell with shoes uh, shoes on i mean it's like people love that movie and it's platforming beautifully you know it's it's really doing 
smartly and where it's you know a lot, a lot of times you'll you'll platform it's like oops and we just grossed less than last week right they're not, they're not having that they're they're improving each week and it's uh, it's very encouraging for that movie and for, for that type of release and so and it goes to one of the things where the, the the idea is that on smaller movies you need a shorter window and i think it's just the opposite I think those right. need time to grow and breathe, and not get thrown into the maelstrom, you know, with other things on two thousand screens. Let it find an audience. Give it some time. Well, it's an interesting. I mean, again, it's all the the ecosystem needs to, you know, find its pH balance again. Yeah. Um, and then it's you know, it it's a weird thing because it, it, it it's such a hit driven business. It always has been, and at the same time kind of acknowledging the fact that the middle and the movies there do well, but not that well matters so much to just the general sense of what art, the audience for theatrical is, you yeah. know, it's not television. It's not meant to be television. It's not, um, you know, stranger things. And if you put stranger things in a theater, how many people would go, or maybe they would, you know, that's the thing is it's a weird, um, a weird thing where, kind of the fantasies of all those people who wanted to do day and date and try these things out for so many years got, uh, got allowed for by COVID, but then they were only testing it during COVID. Right. You know, mm -hmm. and it's going to be, it's, it feels like another year of kind of like, okay, let's get to next summer and see how things go until then. Um, and we can't really be sure of anything until we see whether people put movies in theaters even or make movies. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's a lot in production, but I, th I think there, there, there's a lot to be said for the fact that there, there is sort of a, a pivot in, or at least a pause in the rush to streaming and throwing everything at streaming. Uh, you know, I, it, it makes sense because all, the initial idea was everything in the home will eventually be streaming. May not get there. I think that idea is slowly dying too, but you could make sense for it because all of it right. is essentially TV. And if you got broadband, you got your streaming services, you've got it. It's essentially smooshing everything into streaming, but uncoupling it all from a bundle, <laughs> which yeah. all has to come back together again, too. <clears throat> right. Uh, but the idea that theatrical was part of that, we can dismantle it and throw it into streaming, has always been incredibly short sighted and just misses the differences about theatrical and what it brings. Um, and the amount of attention it brings. I mean, it's it, this, frankly, you know, for all the attention that the ratings on the, the Oscars gets, I think a huge part of the last two years, particularly the first one, the huge collapse in ratings, <clears throat> there weren't movies in movie theaters. Yeah. So nobody was thinking or talking about it or caring about it. And yeah. we'll see what happens this, this coming year, you know, but. Uh, but that I think that's that's a huge part of it, and and also I I think the, which is why we need more of those middle movies and and mix of movies and making it easier for people to see them, is the sort of dislocation between popular movies and awards worthy movies, right? Um, if it's seen as content, <clears throat> if it's seen as product, well, no, we're not going to award that. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, so I, I, I think Holly's own attitude towards its own output is is part of the the disconnect between itself and audiences and its awards bodies. Yeah, well, I, as you probably know, uh, continue to 
take the position that you know if you if the bar was higher at the academy, um, Netflix and others who want to play that game would participate in a different way, you know. And it's really not like oh my god, that's you know we're punishing Netflix for Netflix by doing a six week window instead of a one week window, um, you know, and having to release grosses. Oh my god. Um, you know, that ultimately if they want to play in that field and get the benefits they feel are there, go to town. You know, it's not, <laughs> all you have to do is play by the rules. Yeah. They just, um, I, I just think that this, for the Academy that, that not, this is a weird, I mean, it's funny because there's some very smart people who love movies mm-hmm. um, who make the argument, but it's like, it's, it is not the same thing. It is not, um, you, can, you can have awards for television, they're called Emmys. Um, <laughs> the cable Ace Awards are a lot, aren't they? Well, that's the thing is that <laughs> I think there's this sense that because Cable Ace Awards became the Emmys, that there's some sort of like the, the Oscars should become the everything you want it to be show. But I think there is something about the whole stepping, the whole process of saying, this is what a movie is. We support movies in theaters. And that you that and that op, we we prefer you see a movie. I mean, that's the thing is they don't even say it to their own members anymore. You know, the members used to the whole fight over Harvey Weinstein and, and sending out discs. You know, reached a peak at some point, but it was like now it's not even we want you to. And of course, COVID gave you a reason to do it. But um, and the Academy screening system is is very clever and good. But everybody should want to see a movie in a theater if you really want to make a judgment about it and, and see the highest quality experience. So Focusing, just seeing a, in a dark room is helpful. You're a theatrical elitist, clearly. Well, that's what they say. <laughs> but it's funny because I, 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 you know, and I, I've always loved television. But, you know, as I, again, the history matters. People forget, you know, oh my God, Universal's got to decide between theatrical and television. Well, they've been doing that for the last 40 years. Yeah. You know, all every one of the major studios has has a television arm. And sometimes the television arm is more successful than the theatrical arm in some of these cases. For many years at Sony, that certainly is the case. But um, people don't want to see those distinguishing. It's a weird thing. Maybe it'll go back the other way. We can hope, but it's, it's you know, the, <laughs> the uh, you know, the. I mean, that is true. And a lot of people tell me, well, you know, I fell in love with movies with VHS. And somebody was like, yes. And as soon as you could, you went to movie theaters. Right. So you, it's, it's not this separation. You know, there, there's been this idea. It's like, well, but, you know, it's it, it, if you put it on Netflix, everybody can see it. It's like everybody can see it in theaters. Right. If they're near a theater. And, and then afterwards everybody can see it so it's, it's the separation in time that somehow just offends people and, it, and it's this yeah. idea of you're you're limiting access when you're not it's going to be there forever i mean i i think of you know the is it one of my favorite movies dr strange love and i saw it dozens of times on tv dozens. Yeah. and that was the first time i you know, first place i saw it you know on a very small tv and the first time i saw it in uh movie theater i think it was in new beverly sometime in the 80s and maybe <laughs> later. And there's a scene- Pre-Quentin. I'm sorry? Pre-Quentin. Pre-Quentin, yeah. Uh, but there's the scene where, you know, near the end where Peter Sellers is losing control of his arm and having to do this. And you can catch the guy playing the Russian ambassador completely losing it. I never saw that on TV. Yeah. Finally saw that. It's, he's just like barely holding it in. It's so funny. But, you know, 
uh, again, the and that's a good movie to sort of point out what you don't quite appreciate in quite the same way on TV, which is the spaces around everybody in the war room. That set is incredible, right? And 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 you fully experience it when it's that big. And yes, you can say, well, but if I sit this close to my 70 inch TV, <laughs> it's the same ratio. It's like, but it's not. It was the same ratio, but it's still not objectively larger. Right. People sense size, right? People sense that mass. You think about, you know, and I'm talking about special effects to a degree, but it's a you, with Star Wars. I had to be dragged to it because I'd seen the, the initial trailers and it looked like the dumbest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> so some friends dragged me in and we went, saw it in this. 1200 seat theater in Calumet City, Illinois, uh, with an 85 degree curved screen. It was huge, massive. And you know, the opening scene where the ship is coming in over the top. And I just went, I like this movie. <laughs> I mean, I didn't need anything yeah. more from like that. I got that one thing out of it, right? But the other thing is a face on a screen that big. Yeah. Right. There's uh the Dudley Moore movie where he plays the psychologist and Elizabeth McGovern is his patient and he, right? The, the, I'm bringing obscure stuff, but this is for a reason, where she's describing his, her fantasy about him. And he sits there and you don't see anything really on his face except his eyes narrowed the tiniest bit. And it's the funniest thing yeah. you'll ever see. It's, it's just like hardly any reaction at all, which you would lose anywhere else, but on a screen, movie screen it works and you know emotions all of that stuff looking up at it in the dark with other people at that scale is different here it is it is it is <laughs> you know, i i i have i've actually only seen the the nicole kidman piece on a computer screen so far i have oh. not seen it in a movie theater yet oh it's different in a movie the I funny thing is though you're in the amc theater You've already bought your ticket. <laughs> so why are you selling me? I want to go to the movies. I want to go to the movies. I, I'm at the movies. Brand reinforcement is, is, is a concept. Yeah. Well, they paid for it. You're being validated in your choice. They paid for it. So somebody's got to watch it. Because <laughs> where else are you going to see it? I mean, they stopped buying TV spots for it. So it's like now it's uh, now it's on us. Yeah. Well, with the Dolby ad, <laughs> which I've now seen three million times. That's because you go to the Dolby Theater. So because I go to the Dolby, I I almost won't go to a non-premium screen anymore. I mean, I have AMC Movie Pass or whatever the plus, A plus, and I you know want to go to. I will go see a movie because it's in the Dolby Theater, or in the IMAX Theater, or in their you know their internal in-house AMC premium screens. I you know not only prefer them, but I it is a for me it's a driving force because the experience sure. is different. Sure, and, and 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 you know this is this is true across you know things. That, again, I've having you know grown up in the seventies, and and uh, I'm used to going to some really dodgy movie theaters. I believe right? So so yeah, as they evolved and become these uh, people talk about palaces. It's like yeah, but uh, you know when you go sit in one of those old things, and you will you will be needing a chiropractor. Because you know, you think about Broadway. Think about Broadway, and the seating is terrible. Yeah, it's some of the worst seating I've ever been in. It's hard wooden chairs, and they're they're made for people who were you know, average of five foot six, and you know, and it's it's and people put up with it because the experience of the live thing is irreplaceable, right? Yeah. Uh, but 
we have found that audiences really, really like a comfortable chair. <laughs> and there's a lot of reason, and they like great sound and they like a crisp presentation. You know, it's, it's the other thing about digital. And, uh, you know, Chris Nolan, who loves film, loves 35 millimeter, loves 70 millimeter even more. And, you know, we, we talked with him a lot about that. And one of the things, because he's, I, I'm on the uh, Library of Congress Film Preservation Board as an alternate, as is Chris Nolan, we're both alternates, so we're, we're, we're equal that way. But we were, uh, we were talking about, uh, about digital and, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's not the purist in the sense of, I make it all film because you have to. It's, right. he wants that option. He wants to be sure that people can experience that way. And he also fully understands that from a, a, a large getting people in and out of theaters, showing a lot of movies perspective across the country in a lot of different ways, that the average projection now is head and shoulders above what it was 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, because, because of the level of attention and the level of wear and tear, and it was a mechanical <laughs> device, your projection is going to suffer from the first time you show it, right? It's going to start the film fades, you get scratches, you get little bits of hair stuck, you know, Woody Allen did this whole bit on mm-hmm. <laughs> what's up, uh, what's up, tiger, yeah, right? And uh, and the sprocket holes get loosened, so you get a, a shaky picture and everything else, right? Well, in this with digital, whether it gives you the, the buttery warmth that you get from film, it gives you consistency a base level that people never, ever got in movies, right? right? And, and he's it's like, no question, no question, but I want to be able to do this. And we're like, no question, and you should. And the industry went out of its way to like, oh God, we've got to go into the warehouses and dig out our 35 millimeter and cobble together whatever parts we can to make uh, some 70 millimeter, you know, yeah. and, and did that because it's important to this industry that Chris Nolan is in our industry, right? But it's yeah. also important to have those choices for, for audiences, for those who want them, right? So. Well, every experience is its own thing. And that's the thing. I mean, ultimately, for some reason, the idea of, of disincluding uh, anything is, because ultimately, it's, it, every, there's no movie, I don't think probably in the last 50 years, certainly, that's been seen more in a theater than it was seen in television, ultimately. Sure. Including, you know, Titanic and whatever. In the end, you know, people will watch it multiple times. People will watch it. More people who have never seen it will watch it. There is a, a, a boundary to theatrical um, that's going to be real. It's not 1942 and it's not, you know, people have television sets yeah. and they have internet and they have all these other things. Um, I'm always amazed how well theatrical is held up but you know I was also thinking the, the inverted part of it people have this idea people talk about the movie business going away like the, the music business and I think it's exact in some ways it's the same but in a different from a different direction in that going to a concert is not the same thing as listening to a record right and yet all the money for artists certainly in the in the music business is in concerts not in records Right, and then the, and the other the other thing was that the music industry was artificially holding together a product that was an aggregation of songs when people just wanted one. Right, 
So you had to pay your $13, $17. Well, right. They certainly didn't want to pay $15 for a CD when they wanted one song. Right. And not have and, the option of having the one song. Right. And digital, uh, digital and initially through piracy yeah. blew a hole in that. But actually, they lost more money when iTunes came out than they did under piracy, which is right. deliciously ironic. But Well, just it's it's you know, the art form should be the art form. And the, the money is actually, you know, I keep on making the argument that it's, it is not a, just a cathedral issue. It is the money. And there is, you know, what it means and how it fits. It takes, I mean, it's weird that we're going through this phenomenon now and COVID obviously made it more complicated um, where people are beginning to realize the benefits of windows. Um, you know, and even universal for whatever their system is, is all windows right <laughs> it's not Absolutely. like they've given up on windows they're just changing the the timing of them yeah. uh, for better for worse and those you know i'm sure they will figure out at times that they want to adjust to it um as you were saying before about you know uh you know nope you know right, pushing it out of the movie theaters as quickly as possible is not in their interest yeah. um, and they know that they're not stupid but, yeah and, and i mean the, the key to all of this is i mean we understand flexibility uh, our, our argument has never been for a particular window. Our argument has been for a robust window, one that supports the theatrical release and supports the idea of exclusivity. And one of the reasons why we were so adamant about it on behalf of our members was we were seeing the disasters that were occurring in the home. At first, you know, it was the idea of the, okay, we're kings of the world, we made our $24 billion, you know, which is almost three times what you made in theatrical. It's like, yes, but you know what? Only part of your thing is theatrical. You also had exercise videos and box sets of series and, series. and let's, and you know, I don't know whether porn was reporting its dollars then too, but that's also a big chunk of it, pre-internet. Uh, but after that started its decline, there was just a continued reduction in length of windows in the home and the amount of money that the they could charge for their particular products. It was all smushing together. And we were very much afraid of what happened last year, <laughs> which is you smush it all together and you decrease value for everybody. And I, I think we were vindicated in that just through, here you are with actually no option to see the <laughs> theatrical and it doesn't help you, you know? Right. So, or, or you have very limited options to see theatrical because it's here at the same time at the home and it isn't a big bonus. There's no theatrical halo if you don't give it theatrical time. Right. Right, because otherwise it's just, it's, it's marketing and they can see through it. Why are you sending it to the home right now if it's that good? You know, and the quality issue is thick. Yes, there are bad movies, of course they are. And yet for some reason, if it was in a movie theater, and made some money in a movie theater, it's perceived as somehow more valuable. Um, well, the thing is, sometimes bad movies are big hits. <laughs> yes. And some often, more often than not, actually, great movies are not big hits. So the idea that it's somehow it's about quality, which, you know, I read it in the media and I go, what are you talking about? It's not about quality. It's about whether people are having fun or like it or whatever it is, you know, in the, and and. Ugh. It, it's very frustrating to me because it, it's almost like somebody just never had the experience or they're too busy focusing on this week to realize that there's the rest, you know, a, a long and real history of, you know, every kind of phenomenon there is. 
Yeah, that and also it's, you know, it's, they want to be data driven. So, so they aggregate a lot of things because similar audiences may have watched them or they've watched them, you know, it's like, okay, they watched this and then 40% of them went to this next thing. It's like, is that really telling you something? Maybe, but if you get enough data, it's obviously telling you something, you've got a lot of data. When a lot of this is subjective and gut. I mean, this is part of the, you know, when you think about the, the great executives of Hollywood who had taste, who had a feel for what the audience wants, that, that as much as you market and research it, if you don't have that feel for it, if you don't have some connection to the audience, just like movie makers have to have a connection to the audience to make great movies. Sometimes that connection is 10 years down the line <laughs> and they'll catch up to you, right? And you're like, oh, and you get it right away. But it's, it, is, it is that real human unmeasurable quality of connection, taste, feeling that has to drive this business. Yeah, and marketers have to figure it out too. Even in the movie, you know, as far as I'm concerned at a studio, Movies good, movies bad, movies this, movies that. The job is to market what you got. Yeah. And they do. You know, and they open movies that are not very good. And they don't open movies that sometimes are very good because they can't figure out the hook. And it's that's it's an art, it is an art form. Yeah. To sell stuff. It is not widgets. You know, this is like my my I should have a pillow made with a thing that says it's not widgets, but <laughs> it's not. It's you know, every the challenge of it for better or for worse, you know, because it's not very consumer friendly to sell them something that they're not actually going to get. But that's the phenomenon of it. That's the reality of it is, you know, you put out what you can figure out is the hook. Yeah. Well, it's also R&D to a degree. I mean, this is, yeah. this, is what, this is what low budget movies are about. This is what Roger Corman was about. Yes, he wanted to make money and do it cheaply. But what he did was give untested people a chance to do something with, in a lot of cases, a lot of crap. But it's also why, you know, the initial idea of Sundance was a good idea, where you go and discover these low budget movies and you discover who might be the next artist that's going to really matter for the 20 years. And yeah, we're not going to make money on this movie, but now we've invested in this guy. We've invested in building an audience for this guy. I don't know. And then everybody started making a coming of age movie of a you know 30 year old who's <laughs> maybe still living at home, but right. misunderstood in the manic pixie dream girl next door who you know might have some emotional problems but she loves him and that's you know that's your sundance template it, again it's the same thing people run in packs right it's the same thing it's like all but the then sundance would have something that was genuinely new every couple of years yes that would change the mold again yeah one of my favorite books is steven soderbergh's uh, getting away with it which is a favorite yeah. favorite book because it's when he was suffering you know when, when he was going through schizopolis and not succeeding yeah that he evolved into the you know closer to the thing that he has become um which is you know very conscious but willing to fail and willing to succeed you know and interested in both um and people forget that middle part where struggle occurs and and people are trying to figure it out oh it's yeah like he was, he just was, want to get to the ending already he was extremely close to director's jail <laughs> he was in director's jail for sure for a couple yeah. of years yeah. But he, you know, made smaller movies and he, you know, look, I mean, the great history, the Kubrick history and the, the, the Coen brothers and, you know, movies that did not do a lot of business, either one of them have had met, most of their movies have not opened well, um, but are now beloved and, you know, seen as part of the, the key to, you know, the top 10 of everything.
Yeah, so, and it's also it's you know when you you start talking about uh, diversity and everything else, it's like it, don't close off your possibilities. That's that's what diversity means to me, right? So it's it's you have, and, and you know sort of a a flip to that where they're talking about, and that uh, you can only have a trans actor playing a trans character. Right. Well, there there are going to be considerations in that. I mean, it, to me, that's the flip side of saying, well, you know, Macbeth wasn't black, so it really shouldn't be a black actor playing Macbeth. Yeah. It's also, you know, it, it's the same kind of limiting sense. Uh, and so there the, is a, there is an argument, I think, of respect that is absolutely. There. Absolutely. Where, you know, it did become a trope that if you want it, you know, they talked about it in Tropic Thunder, don't go, was it full, full, whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like, you know, and you have a guy, of course, a white guy playing a black guy in that too, on top of it. Right. Uh, but, you know, if, if you start to get, if it's too easy, if that's the, if you, people are only doing the roles because they get Oscars for them, that's bad too. Yep. You know, so it's, yeah. it's a weird, that's so, all the, the golden rule. I believe in the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yeah, and, and also just be open. I, I think the idea of, of, of casting without, you know, if you've seen many call sheets from casting agencies, it, they can be very, very specific and for no reason. Yeah. Right? It's, it's just what they had in their heads. And so just in the same way where you think about what used to be thought of as an urban movie, you know, read, oh, it has black people in it. So it's now an urban open movie. Open on a Wednesday. Yeah. So, so yeah, no, exactly. Right. So there, so it's, it's. Nobody that remembers that of, one either. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of uh, narrow thinking and categorization is really bad for, it's, it's a shorthand, but it's really bad for the industry. It's bad for the art. Right. So, you know, and, and we also have a wide range of audiences. You know, we're all, we're, you know, it's, it's, if, if you've got, you know, 70 million subscribers, um, you, you can segment a lot. And if you have a huge number of titles that you're putting out there, well, we have a more limited number of venues. We have more limited number of movies, but we are playing to diverse audiences of all ethnicities, of all ages, of genders. So we have to be offering things for them. And this is, this is partly why the idea of the mid-range movies going away is so bad. No movie is going to bring in everybody. You know, you're you're you can bring in close to them <laughs> with some of them, but but we shouldn't be saying to any audience, we don't have anything here for you. And we shouldn't be saying that we don't have anything here for you this week, which is what the issue you know that we're talking about, we started talking about, which is the, the flow of movies. You know, and we're starting to get away from some of that. Uh, where I think we'd gotten down to, I think we were down to about three weeks where you couldn't open a movie, you know, the first two weeks of December and maybe Labor Day. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll see whether we get back to that full calendar, but we're seeing it happen. And some of that happened partly because when Disney laid out its first Marvel timeline and every other studio went, yikes, <laughs> and had to start picking dates that they maybe didn't want initially and coming up with a way to make it work. And they did. You know, so that that was really useful, certainly for for big blockbuster titles. But you know, that's. But there's a business in Quebecois movies. There's a business in Indian movies. There's a business in anime. There's, 
you know, just because it's not doing $400 million right. domestically <laughs> and yeah. it may be doing it overseas and people don't even realize, but um, those are all businesses that work for the people who are in those businesses. Yep. You have to scale them. And, yeah. and, 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 or and not. You can just be the thing you are, you know. Well, no, scale, scale them in terms of your, your budget and, and right. marketing and everything else to, to match what your expectations are. Yeah. But there, you know, there, there's the, there's the middle, there's the giant, the bigger pile and the bigger pile and the bigger pile. And the idea that it's just the bigger, biggest pile possible is kind of just stupid. <laughs> Financially, it's stupid. As a business model, it's stupid. But it's if we could, for, you know, a few people. If we could make one movie and sell one ticket to one guy for a billion dollars, we've got, we've got a business. Well, and, I, and that's the, in terms of selling theatrical movies to the streamers, that's the same principle. I mean, if they can sell it and they're, they're not so confident about selling it, selling it to an audience yeah. and they can sell it to whoever, you know, to stream, then they don't have to worry anymore. And yeah. of course, now we're getting the pushback on that from, uh, from what's his name, from the, the, the guy who gave the speech at, uh, at NATB or NAB or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, where you know they're realizing that giving giving it the whole all the rights away for a little bit more money is not really a profitable game for producers either. So, yeah, well, it's, it's not just producers. It's it's I mean there, there's the entire concept of <clears throat> who is contributing to this movie and its profitability, which is what Scarlett Johansson's suit is about. Right, and it's also very much a question of theater owners' interest, which is what do we contribute to that takeaway. So that becomes the, the negotiations over the splits. That's part of what the window is about. Is this creating value for you? And it's like, okay, you want to shrink this thing. So maybe we have an interest in what you get down the line because right. some of that value has been created by movie theaters. And the same thing for cinematographers and actors and directors and producers. It's, it's all a question of how their services are valued. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the issues when you're selling to yourself in a lot of ways <laughs> uh, is, is that you can you can pick your own valuation and then pay people accordingly. Yeah. And be wrong or right or whatever. Well, this has been a very contentious chat. I feel like <laughs> obviously disagree with each other enormously. Absolutely. But I did want to do a check-in because I figured, you know, it was about that time. We're about to hit this uh, this this dark month or two. <laughs> and uh it's going to be, nothing, to be comfortable it's going to be nothing but mid-range movies nothing but mid-range movies for the next month and a half so we'll see how that goes yeah well but the question will be you know that's the thing is like will they will they market them in a way that is aggressive enough to have some hits happen by mistake you know or unexpectedly or whatever no. um and i don't think people realize that that is a challenge and that you have to you know if you don't market it you can't net you can't Netflix out a theatrical terribly effectively. Right. Well, I, th I think it's difficult in streamers too because the, the yeah. issue with streamers is like, well, it's on the service. They'll be obvious. They'll find it. And you know, you, you see it every time. People are like, why can't I find this movie? You know, it's a big everybody's talking about. It, they can't find the movie, and it's not on their homepage. It's not through this. What is the categorization? You still have to somehow, when they log into their service, sell them on something. Yeah. Right. So and it's yeah, it's, it's absolutely theatrical, though. You have to bring it to the people's attention. You've got to tell them something's here and that there's a reason for you to get out of your house. You know, so 
what's the internal irony is that on Netflix, you know, they change the little blocks, the picture or whatever often. And you're like, oh, well, you understand then that <laughs> you need to kind of keep on trying to appeal to us in a different way. It's a, yeah. But it is a lot cheaper than going into theatrical. But they're, you know, as, as we've talked about before, the, 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 the tale of what happens off a theatrical release is just, it's a different thing. Yep. And certainly in some cases, it won't be true. In some cases, it will fail. But in some cases, we'll get two wickets and have to spend seven hours watching the... No, no, what could have happened was they, that somebody else was also making two wickets at the same time and they were both scheduled to the, like, three weeks apart. Yeah. God. Only this one has an asteroid hit and there's a... Uh... Well, we did have the summer of crazy business people mm -hmm. where there were, what, five or six different stream series that were, you know, it was like people are, people are now they're exhausted. Now they have to go back and find something else to, to pay attention to. Well, thank you. My pleasure. For coming out and sitting in the hallway or wherever you are, it looks like always behind me. <laughs> yes, well, the stairs are there in case you need to escape. If Scarlett Johansson comes running through uh, Florence Pugh and needs you to run up and down the stairs, you're prepared. I've actually been in a three point stance this whole time because I needed to put my arm out, but I did. The things we don't see on, on, our, on our Zoom calls. Zoom has been a boon to everybody. Thank God for that. Even, even what's his name is back from the New Yorker. <laughs> He's made it back to CNN, and tonight Chris Cuomo's coming back on Bill Maher. So, there, there. I guess nobody's really canceled forever, except no. for Harvey, who's in jail. Thank God. But that's a whole other conversation. Um, lovely seeing you. You too. And uh, I, I hope we have happy smiles again, and we do this again next year. Sounds good. Okay. Right. Take good care. Yep. You Thank too. You. Bye. Oh, that's my hand. Oh. <laughs> Bye. Bye.